Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646 716 Four nine seven two. Now here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome everybody. It is Monday, April eighteenth, twenty twenty two. So glad you're here with us. Someone told me you text me yesterday. We started the podcast. Says Lickin, you're just too happy. Well, you know what? We get to talk to thousands upon thousands of mortgage professionals and and uh, people involved in the real estate finance industry in one way or another fashion or form or another, and it is such an honor. And so, yeah, many of you, it is a happy day. It's happy Monday. We're glad, glad to be here with you and have share this podcast, another real information, informative podcast with you. So, again, this podcast was created. It's by us mortgage professionals, not necessarily, not podcast veterans. Well, I guess we're a podcast veteran. We've gotten better at it. But we're mortgage professionals, four mortgage professionals, and we're grateful to have you as our listener. We say that each and every week, but our commitment to you each week is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere and at any speed. Someone says, look, do you know what you, how funny you are? You're the only podcast that talks so fast that I don't have to speed you up. You speak at 150 already. <laughs> 150, I chuckled when I heard that. I know what that is. I was listening to a book over the weekend. Um, you know, Patrick Lencioni, you hear me refer to him all the time. And uh, I reread the book or listened to it. It's called The Motive. Great book. Everyone that's listening to this, you need to get the book from Patrick Lencioni. And if, if you've read it, go back and read it. Such a great, great book. Anyway, I listened to it on Audible, and I listened to it at about 101.4 speed. And um, I get through books a little bit faster, and my retention's better. So anyway, they say they did a study. If you talk quickly, as long as you put a pause in there once in a while, and uh, that you actually, your listing rate, your retention rate goes up for those of us that speak faster. I don't know if it was a fellow fast-talking speaker like myself that did said that, but anyway, good to have you with us, everybody. Enough on that. Today on the Hot Topic segment, give a shout-out. We've got Troy Anderson, Director of Mortgage and Lending Solutions at Finastra, and this is more than just a sponsor. They're doing some leading things with financial institutions and becoming um, more of a one-stop shop for mortgages, and he's going to explain why when we get into the Hot Topic segment. Okay, say, okay. I don't use Finastra. I've got Ellie Mae or I've got Black Knights and Power. All great systems. But isn't it interesting to hear what's going on in technology? We've got Alan Pollock. He just dialed in. I'm so excited to have Alan in the house. Uh, He'll be talking to us about what a report back from Las Vegas, Lost Wages, where the tech conference took place. We'll get a report from him a little bit later on. But we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, we're proud to be a part of the industrysyndicate.com. Check out all the podcasts there. We are talking, I got calls, a couple of calls from PR firms recently, one of which is a leading PR firm in New York. And they said, listen, we in New York, and they said, we're regular listeners. We're not mortgage professionals, but we advise companies on where to best advertise and where to get their message out on. And look in your podcast, look on lending and your regulars. He says, look, you're funny, but you're, you're good. But boy, you've got some great guests. I go, okay, I'm going to take that. Anyway, so you're good, but. So what do they say? I know we've got a great lineup and I can't wait to get all. We also have some great sponsors. I want to say thank you to the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. We're so grateful for our relationship with them. We say this each and every week. If you do not have the Mortgage Action Alliance app downloaded on your smartphone, do it. Have your voice heard in the hill. MBA is doing the best job they can to help with what's going on. And um, so, um, and then also, they sponsor some great conferences like the one they just did, the Tech Solutions Conference and Expo in Las Vegas. It was this past week. Got to get a report on that. Also, Finastra, Future Mortgage Bot Solution, with them that managed store, retrieve, and deliver files and an electron, in an electronic format in a completely paperless environment. And it's going to be what Troy Anderson is going to be talking about a little bit today. What are the trends there? You should pay attention to it. Even if you don't use Finastra, even though you're not looking at another solution, 
Learn what the leaders are doing. They're number one in the in, they're all the number one fintech company in the world. They didn't get there because they do stupid strategies. So pay attention to what we're going to be listening to and what Troy has to share. Also, Lenders One, great to have them as a sponsor as well as the Mortgage Collaborative. These two co-ops are two great ways for you to connect in a more intimate setting with other lenders and vendors that are bring specific solutions. Again, they do not negate the importance of being a part of the NBA, but these two trade associations, uh, the co-ops rather, will really help you connect with others. We have, we're members of both. Others are members of both. You should pick one or the other at least, but I encourage you to be members of both of these. Also, Total Expert, which is the only purpose-built CRM and customer engagement platform to create growth and loyalty for modern lenders and financial solutions. Also, they have a great solution when it comes to recruiting. Everyone's calling us, Slicka, and I hear you've got a great recruiting platform or, or program. I don't have a platform, but I do have a really good recruiting program that works really, really well. And it needs to be powered by a really solid CRM. And so Total Expert is the one I recommend. Not just because they're a sponsor, but it's really, really good. Go listen to the podcast we did with March in March on March 14th with Joe Wellu. And uh, Joe did a great job talking about his vision and where things are at. Also, Knowledge Group is a great way for you to connect with your community. Well, they're out of that community, internal, external, and share uh, what is going on. They've launched their new product, and I've been on. We had a podcast on. We did a special episode on April 1st. Not April Fool's Day. It was April 1st. It may have been April Fool's Day, but it was on April 1st. And Ken Perry laid out that vision. Check it out when you go, go through our past podcast, as well as Mobility MMI, the Mortgage Market Intelligence, as well as Modex, which is also a competitor. They're competitors, but I think they're really a great complement to each other. If you're recruiting and looking for intelligence about who you're recruiting, you need to use both of these apps, or at least one of them. Let's like the Mortgage Collaborative and Letters One. Be members of both of them. You should be. You should have both of these in your pocket because each of them are complementary to each other, and they do a great job of helping you identify who it is that can be, who is going to be the right fit for you, you and your organization. Also, we have a relationship with SnapDocs, working backwards from the future, where everything closing in a flawless experience. Their aim is to completely eradicate errors from the real estate transactions. Did you hear that? Completely eradicate errors. From real estate transactions, check out the interview that we did with Brana Ings and on, on March 28th. She got into the vision. Pretty, pretty amazing. Also, we want to say thank you to Success Kit. They do a great job of increasing your business through telling of your story through the stories of your customers. We're using them for that very purpose. Also, Lender Toolkit. Oh, my gosh. Brent Emler and uh, Brett Brumley over there at Lender Two could do a great job in their technology, as well as Form Free. We appreciate them so much, as well as Simple Nexus. We had Lori Brewer on, and what's going on at Simple Nexus? Guys, you got to pay attention to this company. It is one of the up and comers. They bought LBA Ware. They're out there uh, being very aggressive in the marketplace with a great vision, and uh, we're thrilled to have them as a sponsor, as well as DW Consulting, having your teaching you Debbie Williams. Weems and um, her team tell you how to set up your LinkedIn profile. We can go on and on. We have so many sponsors, and we're so grateful for all of them. So a special thank you goes out to Rob, Les, Alice, Alan, Matt, and Jack, my co-host, for this special podcast. Let's get over to Rob Van Raphorst. Rob, <laughs> Rob Van Raphorst with the MBA and the MBA Mortgage Minute. Rob. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rob Van Raphorst. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, FHFA finalized its strategic plan for fiscal years 2022 to 2026. The plan largely mirrors the draft released in February with the same three overarching goals. One, securing the regulated entity's safety and soundness. Two, fostering housing finance markets that promote equitable access to affordable and sustainable housing. And three, responsibly stewarding FHFA's infrastructure. However, in a notable revision, FHFA removed language that it would seek from Congress the authority to specifically examine non-bank servicers. The removal of the reference to IMB servicers in the plan supports MBA's lobbying efforts to remove similar language in draft legislation that could be taken up in the House Financial Services Committee later this spring. And be sure to register for MBA's National Advocacy Conference happening April 26th mm-hmm. through the 27th in Washington, D.C. To register, go to mba.org conferences. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. 
Man, I want to double down and getting registered for the advocacy conference. That is such an important conference, and you can have your voice heard. Go, but business is down. We can't afford it. You can't afford not to be doing this stuff, folks. It is really, really important. Listen to the interview we did with Brian Montgomery here just recently, and uh, you'll find out just how important it is and what's going on. I tell you, that's a problem we have in our industry. That's why I also believe in the NBA and what they're doing with the Mortgage Action Alliance app. Look at you're talking fast. I may have had an extra cup of coffee this morning. Come to think about it, I was tired. Easter candy could just kick your butt, and it did me. So I, I needed some extra caffeine to get going. May have overdone it there. Anyway, let's get over to Les Parker with this week's TM Spotlight and a macro view of the markets. Les. TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Even Apple's home. Bears aren't giving up quickly. The battle between inflation and recession camps intensifies, marked by big moves both ways. Some expect inflation and a recession, which would shatter many dreams of owning a home. Assuming gasoline prices moderate, the year-over-year CPI growth peaked in March. So, how long will it take for inflation to return to the Fed's 2% target? Expect it within a year. Look for a close below... 2.10 in the 10-year yield before a close above 3.10. Ask Matt where the 10-year yield is now. Come on, bears. Quit playing games. These views are my own. Know what the game is at tmspotlight.com. Uh, sorry, I shut down my phone. No, I'll phone better. But yeah, Les Parker, good job. There's a little falsetto in there. I don't know. Les has got this amazing mm-hmm. vocal range. He does have an amazing vocal range, and he, we've sat around many a uh, conference around the piano bar where, uh, where we had uh, Brian uh, would be playing, uh, Loud Logic's Brian would be playing the piano, and Les and I were just singing away. It was so much fun. Les Parker, good job on that, although I think we might have been stretching your range on that one. Good view. Check out tmspotlight.com to subscribe for free to the paid newsletter. Use the word power to get signed up. Matt Graham is here in the house, Mr. Excitable. <laughs> anyway, yeah, and I've been really looking at these screens, Matt Graham. By the way, he's founder and CEO of MBS Live with uh, this week's Matt Market Update. A Matt Update. A Matt Market Update. How about that? Matt? How you doing, friend? Yeah, David. So first off, i got to take a strong exception to you suggesting that was out of Les's vocal range. I, uh, I fancy myself as a guy who has pretty good pitch recognition, and he was right on. So, yeah, he was. Right? I, didn't, I didn't think he was off on pitch. I was just thinking, I'm wondering if that's falsetto that we're going. I'm a vocal major. I mean, I, I, you know, I hate to say it, but I think that was. I think that was really his real voice. It's within his range. Amazing guy. I think it was his real voice, and I, I was impressed. Uh, so hopefully we can get more of that next week, Les. But uh, as far as asking Matt where the tenure is, yeah, it's really oh, high. It's higher. It's higher right. than it was it's last week. Perfect, and, uh, perfect metaphor. As high as Parker's yeah, yeah. was in the last segment is how high the tenure is. Dear God, this is messing with the markets and companies' profits. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, this is in the falsetto range for sure. Uh, one saving grace is that MBS have been outperforming at times uh, during this move, largely due to curve steepening. That is, the, uh, for instance, the two-year hasn't been moving higher as quickly as the tenure, or at least that was the temporary trend that, uh, you know, has taken root recently and is responsible for the curve steepening all the way back up to 40 basis points at this very moment after being inverted a couple weeks ago. So big changes there. But uh, last week was a crazy one. Holiday shortened week. It tends to be somewhat more volatile than your average week simply because Uh, You have less trader participation, less liquidity. Some traders are rushing to uh, make adjustments or to square their positions ahead of uh, what's expected to be a light liquidity day on those uh, early close days before three-and-a-half-day weekends. That may have contributed to some of the drama. We also had the ECB announcement, European Central Bank, on Thursday morning. And there's a bit of a paradox going on there because the market read that as being a little bit more dovish than it expected. In other words, uh, the ECB isn't tightening as aggressively as the Fed. And we can see that in the form of the euro weakening 
in the wake of the announcement and the press conference. And the paradox is this, is that if the Fed is tightening policy to fight inflation, and if inflation is a global phenomenon, then if foreign central banks aren't doing as much to fight inflation, uh, that can leave more pressure on the Fed to tighten policy uh, to try to combat inflation. So that's sort of the paradox. Uh, in other instances, we might see more unified moves between foreign central bank policy and rates in the U.S. as they react to common economic problems at home and abroad. But uh, if Europe isn't doing heavy lifting, it leaves more heavy lifting for the Fed to do. Mm-hmm. At any rate, no pun intended, uh, the middle of last week was fine and even a little bit resilient, even a little bit hopeful. And then Thursday was brutal, taking yields up to new long-term highs. And all of this after, you know, a decent treasury auction cycle and a very light corporate bond issuance cycle. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it basically is another example of several days of hopeful consolidation being erased by one massive day of selling. We've had that happen three times in less than a month. As long as it continues to happen uh, from a strategy standpoint, we have to continue to remain defensive. And there's nothing in the immediate future that suggests, you know, we're waiting on some, uh, I don't know, singular event to undo the damage. It's something the market is really going to have to show us and we're going to have to observe. As far as the nuts and bolts coming up this week, we do have fairly light data, mostly housing focused, builder confidence today already out at uh, right in line with expectations. Housing starts tomorrow. They're expected to be in line with the previous reading. Existing homes on Wednesday expected to fall just a bit, but still in strong historical territory. Philly Fed, not a housing report, but the most significant report on uh, Thursday morning, expected to continue to show expansion, but not at quite the pace of the previous month. And then Friday is pretty silent with uh, market PMI, not ISM PMI, but market PMI, the lesser of the two versions. So with that economic calendar, it really just leaves us to watch technical levels and watch any momentum shifts that may try to take hold again. But uh, even if that were to happen tomorrow, I personally in this market would want more than four days of resilience and uh, definitely a bigger showing of it than we've had recently before I would get too optimistic about, you know, ceiling and rates. That said... The higher we go, the faster we get there. You know, with each new day of a massive sell-off, we're that much closer to the ceiling. We don't know where the ceiling is, mind you, but obviously, the higher we go, the closer we are to it, right? So, uh, I realize that's not much of a consolation to anybody, especially not when rates are you know as high as they are. But um, it is technically a thing. So, there's a limit to how big the ceiling can get. Yep. I think if you do want some legitimate analysis on that front, I would say, you know, the market's really waiting to see a shift in inflation before they can really hone in on how the Fed policy response is going to evolve. Uh, And like Les was saying, there's, you know, a, a debate, a struggle between managing inflation and crippling the economy. And people are curious whether the Fed can actually thread that needle. They may have been close to doing it in 2019. We'll never really know because of COVID. And um, it seems like it might be challenging as far as some people are concerned this time around. Well, the, the Fed seems to think it's not going to be as challenging. Most any Fed speaker has said recently they, they can engineer a soft landing. But um, I think the jury is out on that and, and markets are a little yeah. bit nervous about it until they see what's what. Yeah, no kidding. Lenders are nervous about it. A lot of people are nervous about it. Good job, Matt. Any other good news or wisdom you want to share? Um, no, I don't think so, Dave. Yeah, no, well, just let's, uh, let's go get our it's co-host on time. here. Yeah, let's get our co-host on here and get some thoughts on that. There's so many things rolling through my mind as we're thinking about it. But Jack, I know avid follower of the markets. Anything you want to uh, ask, Matt? Ask Matt Stump. Well, Matt. first of all, David. Uh, I believe that you talk faster than 150 audible words per minute. There are times when I literally feel tired after listening to you roll through the intro of the podcast. You know, we comment a lot on Les Parker's uh, 
uh, numbers that he throws out. Uh, you know, I'm certainly hopeful that the Fed actions that we'll see uh, here over the coming months can rein inflation back into the Fed target rate of two to two and a half percent by the end of the year. Um, uh, you know, less I. I hope you're spot on in that one. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, to Matt's comments, yeah, you know, I'm hoping this is going to be a rather benign week in the market. I, I call this the uh, regional Fed president speak week. And, uh, you know, all the uh, regional Fed presidents, uh, you know, have various opportunities to uh, make comment to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully those are sound and thoughtful and uh, we don't see anything driving, uh, you know, uh, off of those. Uh, you know, this is earnings. This is a big earnings week in the equity side of the market. Uh, so we'll see, uh, you know, what uh, inflation, supply chain, you know, just go down the list of things that, you know, are tending to be a drag on the marketplace. And we'll see how that impacts, uh, you know, yep. a big week for uh, earnings. Big week, big week coming out. Speaking of earnings, man, so many lenders are hurting on the earnings front. I mean, the vast number of companies still, the amount of money that was lost in the first quarter, and it's just people aren't reacting. And I think, listeners, I think we could have ourselves a third and fourth quarter of this year, some of the biggest bloodbath in the industry. And I'm really concerned that it's going to force a consolidation in the industry. We want every one of you listening to this podcast to prosper and do well. But I think many of you are struggling with making the, taking the appropriate action to uh, write size of the P&L to get it to the point where your expenses are in line with the deteriorating earnings. It's just the way it is. We're hoping for the best, Matt, but you know, I hate to say it, the, you are in the process of delivering a lot of uh, nervous news, if not just seems horrifically negative, but you do a great job of delivering the news, Matt, really, really well. And I encourage people to well, get the saving, that. The saving grace is that, uh, you know, purchases remain strong and they tend to remain a lot stronger than refis and even if you're not doing a lot of purchases right now with the volume of those that's coming into the market that sets us up for you know another refi boom whenever rates mm -hmm. eventually correct and you know i would not expect them to remain this high forever and especially not even you know for more than a few i don't know i don't want to put a time frame on it I'm, it could be months it could be a couple of years but likely nothing more than that yeah. um and there should be refi opportunities even if we're waiting for a bigger bounce, you know, one to three years, at some point there will be a smaller bounce that provides a, a, a good amount of opportunity between now and then most likely. Yeah, we need to have a podcast just on the strategies of profitability. We've got a refinance company that does nothing, a client that does nothing but refinance transactions. It's just everyone's out discouraged, left that space. Our volume has actually gone up. Our profits have gone up. So refinances are not dead. It's what's driving them is what they pay attention to. Very interesting. Yep. Well, that's a whole other conversation for another day. But Matt, job. Matt, you know, David, uh, you yes. know, one thing to keep in mind, the longer we stay, you know, in this higher rate cycle, the more mm -hmm. profound uh, the next refi boom will be in the marketplace. Yeah, exactly right. It is profound. Significant. Also, get signed up for mbslive.net. One of the best, I would say one of the best. It is the best service out there that gives you so much data in a really meaningful way. Take a look at it. I have it on behind my screen, behind my desk, and it's on every Zoom call. People go, oh, that's the market's live. I said, yeah, it's MBS Live. It's the best tool out there. And you can sign up for the extended trial period without a credit card by putting in LOL in the, as a sign-up code. Be sure to do it. Appreciate you, Matt, for being here each and every week. That's a pause to see if Matt's still there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, well, I never know that with a little bit of uh, with a little bit of lag. So I will say, yeah. you bet, Dave. Thanks for having me, and appreciate you too. Have a great rest of your week. Yeah, there in the North Country, you can go. Yeah, sure, you betcha. We're so glad to have you here. <laughs> All right, Alice Alvey, good friend. How are you doing, sister? She's like a sister, my mortgage sister. I love Alice Alvey and her husband. They are just the most wonderful people, and I'm so grateful to have you in my life. Alice, what you got for us? Well, Dave. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Pardon me there. Oh, yeah, it was so interesting listening to uh, you all talk about the race. See, I'm trying mm -hmm. to get the Texas thing, all y'all down. Um, but <laughs> it, it was <laughs> it was really interesting because uh, we've been talking a lot about that really, you know, as an industry. And I was looking at the numbers, and we have had a 2% jump in interest rates between November mm -hmm. 
uh, 20, I think it is. And then now, you know, uh, March yeah. of 2022, we're up at that 4.6%. So that's what, that's uh, 11 to 20 to 22. That's still over a year of time in that movement, which really does mirror as people keep talking about what happened in 93, 94. So those of us mm-hmm. who are the old timers and we were around back then um, and much earlier, if I do say. Well, yeah, okay, I wasn't there, but I was early 80s. But uh, yeah. it, that jump was similar over about mm-hmm. 13 months. And yep. so everybody's kind of, to your point, we've got to take a good hard look at how business is and how things are going. I'm going to, since you brought up books earlier, I'm going to recommend a book for everybody called Oh Shift. And it's oh, a great shift. way of shift. You can read this book in two hours. It is, yeah. there's some pages with like eight words on it. It is a great fun read about putting the F adding the F (laughs) so that instead of saying what you think you would say, when you have one of those, oh my gosh, really, you know, rough times are going on or this thing happens and you say, okay, I've got a shift. And it's a, it's a fun read for that. So I just wanted to point that fun read out. I think um, when you listen to the MBA advocacy update, it reminds us of what happens in this type of market. The good news is uh, back in those other rate problems and other industry problems, we had uh, legislation on top of us. We do not have that now. We don't have Congress looking to impose a lot of regulations. We lived through all that. And what's happening now, actually, as the agencies, we, we have to watch FIFA and CFPB very closely, but as they come up with different things like, you know, um, are we charging too much in fees, we now have all of that revised TILA to fall back on as our defense. So mm-hmm. uh, kudos to the MBA. Uh, read their advocacy updates uh, that came out today, and you'll be able to see several of the things that they were able to accomplish to help stem off some of the overreach that FIFA and CFPB we are, um, can occasionally have. So we're watching that closely. But I think the only rules out there that um, just a heads up on is HUD does have a good one coming out trying to get that we can do a 40-year amortization in servicing uh, when we need to recast loans. Fannie and Freddie offer that. So HUD's just asking to be able to do the same thing that they are. Comments on that are due by May 31st. So this is a quick, easy one for the industry to jump in. Go to the Federal Reserve page, uh, look up HUD, and you'll be able to find this uh, to comment on uh, allowing the 40-year piece. Then uh, the other normal phase that comes around is VA sending in for all of their forms. Is it okay if we keep using this form? So it's part of the Paperwork Reduction Act. But what I find interesting is here comes the VA loan analysis. I think the form's been identical since I started in the industry. And, uh, you know, they're still asking, is it okay? Do we have to make any changes? And nobody comments. So we have the same form for over four, for almost 40 years. So yeah. <laughs> if anybody is going, why does this form look so archaic and you want to comment? Tell us the time you have till May 9th. <laughs> Not the time to do it. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, like, do we really need age of dependence anymore? So. Anyway, but uh, so that's just a few fun things that are out there. But uh, to get a new perspective on, uh, read the book O Shift. Thank yep. you, Dave. Very good, Alice Alvey. I'm going to go download that book as soon as we get done. Uh, I, and it is such an important one. There's such a need for a shift in the marketplace right now, and people are just not doing it. Another one I'm going to share with you, folks, listeners. Uh, I know of a company uh, close, near, dear to me, I care about deeply, where um, the owner of the company is the only signer on the accounts and he recently had a major health issue and he is uh, incapacitated. I mean, unconscious as in a coma and what it is causing for this company, be sure to check through and see who are the signers. What happens if we had an issue with one particular, the primary owner or the primary person, it comes down to such an important issue and sometimes it's overlooked. I, I was, it's shocking. I know, but there are companies where they've been around forever, family-owned, and uh, uh, the primary shareholder, the, the number one shareholder, does not get uh, have get anyone else on the account. It's creating a real crisis here. We're going to get through it with them helping them through it. But, man, oh, man, I just remind everybody, who's, who's the signers in your account? If something happened to you, God forbid, make sure that it gets done right, set up correctly. Let's get over to – thank you, Alice. By the way, I should always say Alice is CMB Vice President of Education and Training at Union Home Mortgage. 
also known as Bill Cosgrove Mortgage. We refer to it. We love Bill. Love Bill, Al, and the whole team there. What a great company. Alice, thank you so much for being here. Let's get over to Alan Pollock, who has an update from the tech conference. How was it, Alan? You were flying out and trying to dial in. You couldn't last week. Yeah. Really looking forward to the report this week. Uh, it was, yeah, it was great. It's um, one, I mean, we've all been back to some conferences now. There were still some folks that was their first one back out. It was good to see people. It was plentiful with meetings. Um, I mean, to the point where people were stopping by other folks' trade show booths asking, you know, can we meet with you? Uh, the meeting areas were just completely busy, so there was a lot of good collaboration. I didn't see a big turnout from lenders there. Um, there were some. There were some lenders that wound up bringing a lot of people. Uh, and then, of course, you have some folks that come just for networking that don't register to be inside because a lot of meetings occur outside of that. But otherwise, David, it was great. Some of the topics that we heard um, were were the following. I mean, things that we've heard for a long time, right? Um, continu- continuity of process, mm-hmm. automated underwriting, intelligent automation, data hydration, uh, liability and asset analysis. Um, so right now what's happening is it seems that there's a lot of document OCR vendors. A lot of, a lot of technology mm-hmm. companies have embedded OCR, and, and for great reasons, right? It's so available now. Um, there's a Google platform. There's, there's five different companies alone that I could have found within 20 minutes that do OCR, but a lot of people have embedded their own solution. So folks are in, ingesting documents, verifying and validating data and documents, a lot of people are working to automate the things that are the most costly. So forget the digital mortgage concept that we keep talking about every year, right? And, and even four or five years ago, what we thought of digital mortgages, that's kind of off the table at the moment. We're focused on how to move things faster, more intelligent. How do, how do we spend money to get return on investment, right? So can we really automate the income analysis and remove all of the human need and the error that, that has happened? I'm hearing now asset analysis. I'm hearing liability analysis. The question becomes, and this is what other folks have said to me, is you pay for all this technology. How do you know that it's all working together and you're actually saving money? Or are you just reviewing things that still has to go to somebody? So you may save them some time, but is that time equate to enough to X amount of more files per day? And did that only really work when our rates were a lot lower? So a lot of people are confused where to spend their money right now. As mm-hmm. I continue to go down some of the notes I have from the conference, David, I mean, there's companies like Candor. Um, a couple of years ago, they were they had one or two clients. They they stated now that they have 1.5 million loans that they've done automated underwriting wow. that went through their platform, and they've had zero repurchase come back from any of that. Right? That's fantastic, but it's not replacing underwriting. It's for the front end of the of of the funnel. So. That's fantastic. Does it necessarily save you? It depends on your process, right? Maxwell, mm-hmm. by the way, they put out what's called the processor edge, right? So as a processor, you don't have to be in the LOS. You can work inside Maxwell. You can work on conditions, notes to underwriters, bi-directional sync. You can drag to create tasks. Again, it's built in with OCR. Really cool stuff. House Canary. A lot of people like House Canary. Not a lot. I always say a lot of people, right? There's a couple of companies that like House Canary that are working on getting more data on analysis, AVMs, bringing information to the consumer and the loan officer about that property and helping to engage because you may not be ready to fill out an application as a consumer, but there's no reason why you can't be engaged with your mortgage lender mm-hmm. upfront working on properties and being able to get better information. Well, House Canary does a really good job of that. And they're 50, they, have a, they have a 50-state brokerage behind them, so they're consumer-centric, and they do they have tons of data and do valuations. Then you look at, David, this is the biggest announcement, which is really cool. Obviously, when I said a moment ago, forget digital mortgage, I didn't really mean that, right, just for the moment. But we are focused also on, right, e-closings, RON, all of all the things that, that got escalated or pushed ahead from, from when COVID started. Well, Mismo worked with SnapDocs fantastic website. It is completely free, by the way. You do not have to pay for it. It's called eee.mismo.org. And you can go and put in your zip code of where you're buying a property or where you're helping somebody. And it tells you not only who will service those digital files, but can you do 
e-notarization? Can you do their other? Can you do the county recordings electronically? Counterparty requirements. It gives you everything you need, even settlement agent readiness for every single zip code in the country. And there's a bunch, like half a dozen to a dozen data collaborators that are providing data to MISMO in this effort, and they're looking for more. The data is highly accurate. It's very interesting. You want to check that out. But that was probably one of the coolest things I saw. Um, then you've got a whole bunch of other things. Um, people are cross-checking and corroborating data, right? That seems to be a common thing I'm hearing about. Um, there's a brand-new LOS on the market, gentlemen from – Blend had exited and raised $30 million and started this new LOS called Vesta. Um, I think it's still in its infancy. And when he was on stage, um, Julian Hebron had said, you know, the elephant in the room is why would you want to start an LOS company? And so that was one of the conversations, which is really, really interesting. As you continue down into some of the other demonstrations, Simple Nexus had uh, illustrated a bunch of things that they have going on, especially their, their Lime Gear product, which is by LBAWare, now a, yep. a Simple Nexus company. Um, Richie May had a bunch of things about analytics. Um, not, again, a lot of people are focused on liabilities and assets and income. Um, people are talking about a waterfall process of income analysis rather than just going out to one vendor. Um, people are talking about automatically running compliance and running services, um, doing things in a task kind of basis, and then even looking at things where you consider um, mortgage cadence, right? Be smart. Right. HomeBot, they're all talking about more automation. Um, Pavaso was demoing their online notary. Um, CBC was out there talking about things. So there is just so much stuff going on. And the question becomes really, what is a digital mortgage? And where is the automation? I saw AI companies. I saw bot companies. I didn't see David, remember a year or two ago, everyone was talking about, we're artificial intelligence. I don't right. see companies advertising that anymore. I see them talking about automated. I see them talking about reducing friction but I see less conversation on AI. Um, so it, that's the big question, right? Where do we spend money? Where's the return? How do we move the industry ahead? There's an article in Housing Wire that came out uh, today, actually, that talks about um, what some folks had actually mentioned at the conference, which is are we really any further ahead in digital mortgage or in the industry than we were maybe 10 years ago? And the, the, a lot of people are suggesting maybe we're not. Right? We're spending a lot of money. We're, we have a lot of little tiny pieces of it but there's still a lot of standardization and, and, and a lot of things that have to occur to make it really happen. Sounds like the most interesting so, thing that grabbed your attention was the, um, the MISBO the Snapbox and uh, what's going on there. It's interesting. So. Snapbox is an uh, advertiser with us, and so thrilled to hear that. Yeah. And by the way, right, still taking 40 days to close a mortgage, right? We haven't mm, reduced the, the cycle time. Uh, yeah, but we have a lot of cost, a lot of new technology, and you can't just implement tech, Dave, right? You need staff, you need people, you need vision, you need strategy, you need execution, you need all these wonderful things. So the question really becomes is what do we now focus on, and what do you push through the door, and how much money can you really spend on that? So we can talk more about that next week um, because I've got a list of things that I think the five things I think we really should focus on, um, and, and, I, and I think a lot of the folks on this call – on this podcast, rather, I'm so used to being on calls all day long, um, will probably resonate with they've, they've made some accomplishments, but a lot of projects never made it over the goal line, right? They maybe they maybe made it to the red zone, but they haven't been able to score that touchdown, and so they're left trying to still spend money and figure out how to how to get it implemented and how to make it make it into a successful venture. Yep. Why would anyone start an LOS right now or build a proprietary LOS? It just doesn't make sense. It's just gotten so much more complicated. I've done it twice. <laughs> And uh, it was a long, long, long time ago. It's crazy, 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 crazy. Especially some great companies out there like your company, like Finastra. A lot of good, great companies out there. And uh, we've got a lot of questions coming in, but uh, for the sake of time, we need to move on. So we'll save those for next week. Listeners, keep sending those in to me. I'll get those over to Alan before the before we go live next week. Uh, good, to, Alan. Good, good to have you here. Glad to know you were likewise eight feet on the ground there, giving us an update. Very exciting stuff. I heard it was eighty yeah, percent vendor, twenty percent lender. Uh, could you validate that? Is that true? Pretty. It's validated, right? Hundred percent true. But I got to tell you, the, like even for myself, I, I found potentially three to four new relationships that I need to yeah. I need to integrate or connect with to provide to my clients. So it was still a very successful conference. Tech's moving away, far along, but it's mud. The waters are muddied. Everybody's talking about the same thing and. You wonder who's really good and who's not good at certain things, and, and right? 
Some yep. people like apples, some people like oranges. They're both round. So we've got a lot of round technology, and we got to figure out what we like. <laughs> That's good. You always got a right, good sound bite there. It's going to be really fascinating what happens <laughs> this year. It, really fascinating. It's going to be consolidation within the tech space. is no doubt going to happen as it happens throughout the lender space very much. Can't wait to get a new report next week. Be sure to come back next week, folks, and listen to all that Alan has to say and send me your questions or send them to Alan. You can send them to Alan, A-L-L-E-N, at TMS-Advisors.com. Thanks, Alan. Appreciate you being here, friend. Likewise. Well, folks, that ends the weekly mortgage update of the first part of our podcast. Those of you listening live, stay right here. You, Those of you listening live, you know that. Uh, we're going to continue on into the hot topic segment. For those of you listening on a downloaded basis, which the vast majority of you do, you're going to want to move on to the other pot topic podcast, the next podcast, which is what we're about to do here live. And we're going to go with it uh, in just a moment. Here we go. Welcome to the Licking and Lending Hot Topic segment. It is a beautiful March, excuse me, March, April 18th, and we're live here in Austin, Texas. Very excited to have Troy Anderson, Director of Mortgage and Lending Solutions Sales at Finastro, one of our sponsors. He's going to be discussing here what's going on with financial institutions. Are they becoming more of a one-stop shop? Yes, they are. But why? We're going to get into those talking points. Troy, good to have you here. So glad to have you be a part of the podcast. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to join you. Yeah, when we were, we were getting ready for the podcast, he goes, gosh, what am I going to talk about for, I mean, like 20 minutes? Like, can we do this? Oh, yeah. When you and I get on the phone or get to talking, it's like we hardly, we're 20 minutes just saying good morning to each other. Right. But I want to get, exactly. I want to, we both have the ability to carry conversation real well, but I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit. So um, talk a little bit about your career path, what brought you to this point, and so our listeners can get to know you a bit. Well, it's a, it was a circuitous, circuitous route for sure uh, to where I've ended up. <laughs> and, it is uh, for most very, yeah, exactly. And uh, just overused word sometimes, but I, I feel truly blessed with the opportunities that I've had uh, throughout my career. In particular, starting uh, with commercial lending. So, out of college, I joined Bank One, which, for those of you that are younger, you probably never heard of that bank, but it was a good-sized regional mm-hmm. bank that ultimately is part of Chase now, and great uh, credit training and other things, and. So did that for about nine years, and uh, the risk taker in me, the entrepreneur in me, ended up uh, going to work for a startup at the time. Uh, it was actually more of a consumer-oriented LOS, um, and uh, took. We had two small babies at the time. My wife let me do it. She went back to work on the weekends, and I took a over 50% pay cut. And wow. ever since then, I've, I've been in fintech, and so it was a great move. Uh, we ended up, you know, being able to sell that particular company. Um, and do pretty well with that, and then moved around throughout uh, different uh, fintechs, focusing on commercial, mortgage, and uh, consumer. And part of that was great with my banking background and commercial lending. There are some cases where you have small clients, uh, small meaning you know a couple million dollars or less in total commitments and, lo- and loans, and you may have a dad that runs a business, and you got to do a car loan for his kid. <laughs> and you better make mm-hmm. sure you do it, but you still have to document it correctly. And same thing for mortgages. You know, I had to do a couple of mortgages, getting some of the private banker people to assist me with that back in the day. And that's been a while, and things have changed a lot <laughs> since, that, since those days uh, with the mortgage space, uh, not just from technology, but the oversight and other things. So, um, you know, throughout my career, you know, the, the beginning, uh, if, if any of you guys have gone through banking school, it used to be the three C's of credit uh, back in the yeah. olden times, as I now refer to it. But now it's the five C's of credit, and it really applies uh, primarily to all loan types, uh, loan loan type of activities. And I've, it's, I've used, used those to guide me you know, through my career, even just selling technology for the last 20-plus years and not being a direct lender. Um, I will well, say I don't miss the direct lending piece because it took yeah. a lot of writing, especially in commercial lending, <laughs> and I don't have yeah. to take things to committee or other things. So. Yeah. It's so so true. Um, one of the things I'm most interested in from Finastra's perspective is you guys have a large install base of financial institutions. It's kind of where your bastion of uh, uh, kingdom uh, bastion is, your your influence. And I think mm-hmm. there's some things that the financial institutions that are doing that are kind of interesting. They're focusing more and more on one, being a one-stop shop for mortgages. Mm-hmm. And I want to get your interest in. Your, your insights as to why that is. 
there's a couple different things. And being with a variety of different sizes of fintechs and understanding the support and implementation of other things and the, the breadth and depth of their products. Um, you know, as far as an end-to-end solution, we could just, this is not a commercial for Finastra, but in case you're, you're not, you may not be aware, David, at this point, you know, we can literally run a, a bank from beginning to end. And as far as all of our technology components, um, whether it's, you know, the customer experience when they're not even a customer yet, all the way through through managing that through the core process uh, with our Phoenix solution. Um, and there's other companies that do that too, uh, but, you know, we feel obviously like we do it very well. But as far as the LOS goes, uh, you know, we do have multiple LOSs. In this case, we're focusing, focusing on our mortgage bot, uh, which is an end-to-end solution. And this is really just my, back, my, my thoughts around you know, the end-to-end piece as it, as it stands with working for componentized platforms in the past, where you had multiple integrations that fingers could be pointed and other things. So as far as the five things to consider um, is, you know, as far as the end-to-end option goes, the real, the real value, and I'm going to say value quite a few times throughout this because feature functions, most of them, you know, ultimately result in some type of value. Some of them don't. Some of them might just be widgets that may demo well, and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is great, but it really doesn't provide that much value. And I've yeah. seen that when I've been doing demonstrations. I'm like, oh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't really focus on that too much. You know, it might be cool, but it doesn't add as much value as some of these other things. So the end-to-end process, the value there is uh, you know, basically one vendor, one support path. And what that amounts to is efficiency results. Uh, the percentages will vary, uh, but I've had clients in the past who uh, usually we, my vendors, or we were not the problem, the vendor I was working for. But you get vendors that start pointing fingers. It, it makes it difficult to work. You know, we've got a, with mortgage bot the end-to-end pieces. Basically, you know, the POS. Uh, you know, or we have a standalone POS that goes into a, 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 the LOS, fully integrated. There's no no third-party type integration because we're all one company. Um, so the customer experience is out there uh, for them, as well as being able to to ultimately push it into that LOS. So having one vendor to visit with, having one common platform to work on internally from an admin perspective is really, really important. Um, Again, that goes from my 20 years of experience, not just the time that I've been at Finastra. Um, If I was doing vendor selection, I would be highly focused on that because of the the things that I've seen that can go wrong and and cause some pretty uh, strong tension in some cases. Um, The the other part, besides being an end-to-end solution, we, as a couple other companies do have, we have a very large marketplace in FusionFabric.cloud. And the marketplace is uh, like you're going to the Apple Store. So you can see value-add uh, vendors um, that basically plug in, if you will, into our POS or LOS that are providing value in a number of different ways. Um, it could, we're talking about AVM services, pricing services, um, allowing for a bespoke type uh, product that ultimately you can end up with. And it allows the client on their own, in some cases, to add those components uh, that are unique to their needs. So for those of you guys that have bought software before, sometimes you buy things and 20% of it, you know you're never going to use, but yet you're still kind of paying for it. <laughs> so in this true, case, yeah. this is a situation where you could say, okay, yeah, this, this, this product has this, but they don't have these other couple things. Oh, but wait, you know, they pointed out that they have this in their, in their marketplace and there are open APIs for our platforms. And typically one of the requirements, depending on the level of a vendor and who it is, you know, they need to have the open APIs as well. So they can be basically, you know, plugged in and unplugged uh, when necessary very easily. And the value around all that is a, a more, it's a better, faster and bespoke process really providing the customer with exactly what it is that they need, which should result in, you know, more low revenue uh, and less FTE expense, quite frankly, because they can automate some of those things from the APIs that we have available in fusionfabric.cloud. Um, and I, just as a, as a point here, some people have asked around these marketplaces, well, aren't you, you know, aren't you allowing competitors into your, into your space? Well, Today, it's, it's, and really for the last several years, it's about co-opetition, right? You're uh, cooperating with your competitors. Yeah. And yeah, which we heard. so I just, yeah. I think that's a good point. It's, I think that's what Alan, Alan was talking about uh, in Las Vegas. There's a lot more of that interest because it's really important. So I understand. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's super important, you know, and, and everyone makes sure to, you know, protect what it is they need to protect on either side. Uh, but then at the same time, they also realize, 
that, you know, it really helps the client win ultimately, you know, to yeah. have them be, be able to have that experience. And it makes for a less frictionless uh, vendor search, quite frankly, for the client. Um, number three, as far as the, the key things is uh, configurability. And David, tell me if I need to talk faster or not provide us. Oh, no, you're doing, detail. You're, you're doing <laughs> but, Yeah, I'm interested yeah. in getting, uh, I'm really interested in on that perspective on it. But Alice, before we leave the, some of the other things that we were talking about, Alice, did you have any questions around the second point that he made? Did you have anything as you were listening to it, financial institutions? Well, I was, uh, I was listening to the, the API connectivity. I know it's always mm-hmm. a, 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 an important piece, but I love the, the term, you know, coopetition. Uh, I've lived that in the past. So mm-hmm. I think my, my question is just, is there anything else about, uh, you know, that, that go-to-market and those value-added services that you're referencing that really help make this effective in the future? Um, boy, I... I, I... At the future, I think it's going to be as effective as it is for, you know, our phones, right? So one of my phone, whenever, if and when you change employers, you can through through your phone, get your, your 401k from your other person, from your previous client, roll it over. You can, you know, add the, uh, the new payroll system that you're using at your new employer. Um, you can do all these different things personally that ultimately are relating to more your professional life. But um, as I said, you know, I, I think it's a more bespoke solutions. 12, 10, 12 years ago, here's your system. You want us to interface with this thing? It's going to be a custom project. It's going to be five figures in customization, you know, and uh, then it will take a while. And it, you'll, you'll have it in six to nine months versus, hey, you can have this in a week, you know, or two weeks for something that it is that's specific to you. So we we are proactive at Sinastra with uh, working with um, – what we view to be value add that some of the market may not be aware of. So we actually go out and try to proactively say, Hey, these guys, you know, we're not, they, we don't own them or anything else. We're just partnering with them because we feel like we can add value to their solution and they're adding value to, to ours, which ultimately is passed on to, to the client. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, I think the model works really, really well. Um, it's probably going to reduce the number of, uh, you know, acquisitions and things, I would think, for some, depending on if you're just a kind of a niche player uh, as far as the, the marketplace goes. But if you're a, a niche player, then the other people with marketplaces are going to be, you know, chasing them as well. Yeah, I don't know point. if I answered your question or not, but it's, um, that's, that's been my experience. Yeah, good it point. did. It added some great color. Thank you. Yeah, oh, yeah good. I agree. Problem. Yeah, good. Uh, let's get over to Alan on the key point number three that you want to bring up. It has to do with configurability. Alan? Yeah, I mean, one, great to talk with you. And if you were yep. uh, at the conference last week, um, I, sh- I should have spoken with David ahead of time so we could have chatted. But but separately, you know, not everybody's the same, right? <laughs> I wish they were. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we build technology and we offer technology, configurability seems to be the biggest thing. So, you know, from your perspective, dealing with financial institutions and everyone's going after the same thing but doing it their own secret sauce way, um, what is configurability and the importance for, for you and, and your customers? So configurability, and I've, uh, I've been uh, an entrepreneur a few times over, just like I think the rest of you guys are. And uh, so when I built out an LOS uh, a few years ago, um, it was critical to me um, to have, a a medium level user being able to do admin functions because it's really more about admin functions for the versus the end user the end user needs needs to be great right but um, from an admin perspective and to be able to keep up with changes um, there needs to be ways to handle integrations uh, you know for for different types of basic type things internally uh, but more important is is when uh, credit policies change or, you know, anything that can change on a regular basis or as new regulations appear, um, how, how quickly can we, can we, can we do that? Do we have to wait on our vendor to do it? Um, or do we have to have an internal basically it person or developer, you know, that's there to manage that process, um, which that's great, but you're adding, more cost, you know, to the cost of your system, whenever it does take those, those dev developer uh, type people to be a system admin, uh, reducing, you know, their profitability for sure. Um, and it's, uh, you know, so what we, we really focus on is to, as much as we can make sure that anything and everything 
can be configured through, you know, check boxes, uh, tables, and other things versus, you know, actual code that's going in to, to modify the solution. Good point. Jack, when it comes to, uh, you know, a little bit about robust decisioning, do you not? <laughs> oh, Troy, Troy, at the at the top of the podcast, you talked about, as, as you were, you know, discussing uh, your, your previous work history, you talked about, uh, you know, what I think being a ex-financial institution guy, you know, is a very manual process. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, the preparation for credit committee, you know, matriculating through credit committee, um, you know, you know, David just talked about robust decisioning. Um, you know, how are manual decisions impacting revenue for financial institutions? And, you know, how did your solution help? Well, um, it'll help in a, in a number of different ways uh, from a, you know, who's interested in, in buying this loan <laughs> ultimately at the very beginning, along with the, the various rates and, you know, closing costs being in there. But um, the manual decision component to me is, robust decisioning in my world or in my experiences that I've had in LOSs over the years is if they're not doing any auto decisioning today, you take baby steps, maybe the top 10 and bottom 10%, you know, look at everything else in the 80%. But as you're doing that documenting, you know, why, why are we not auto approving or why are we not auto decisioning this? Those within that 80% band that you start with. And then ultimately, you know, a goal of being 20, you know, 20 top, 20 bottom, and then another 60, and then ultimately flipping that to where you're getting 30, 30, and then 40 in the middle. And what I've actually seen a funny story is, this has been quite some time ago, but I had sold to a relatively large bank, a consumer LOS, and they swore on their, they swore up and down with 15 people in their bank saying, we will never do audit decisioning. Three years later, they were auto-decisioning 60% of the loans. <laughs> so yeah. never say never is where I'm going with this. Because ultimately what that does is it's really it's less about saving money on that time. But if in a manual decision, especially in the mortgage space, I mean, a manual decision can take a lot longer, right? Much more than a car loan I mean, being manually decisioned. You know, it, in my, from what I've seen, it, it's been, you know, not necessarily a, a study, but um, – you can have some healthy credit risk uh, that ultimately are getting manually, you know, underwritten. And by that point, they may get tired of it and say, forget it. I'm moving on. I'm going to someone else. And they get a response, you know, 24, 36, 48 hours. Um, and that's great because that's going to help you get that deal. But the, the other thing is, is compliance, 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 three times over for auto decisioning. Auto decisioning is the ultimate inconsistency and it's, it eliminates concerns and preparation for exams. And in the case of, you know, buybacks, it should eliminate those for the type of buyback scenarios that would be affected, you know, by that credit decision. Um, so to me, it, it basically, it's not AI at all. You, you know, the, the lender is usually setting those types of things up on their own, but it's the ultimate inconsistency. And I've talked to so many lenders, just like you guys probably have in my 20 plus years of FinTech. And that's one of the main things I hear of why they're looking for a platform or why they're looking to change platforms. It's like, we've got to be consistent. And then along with that, you also have to have robust reporting. So, you know, you need to be able to generate those reports that prove, you know, to the examiners, whichever governing body it is, that this, you know, we've talked about what we're doing and how we change these things, but ultimately here's your proof. And, you know, that reporting needs to be, you know, generally very easy and, con- easy and configurable as well uh, by a business person. Let's get our well, Alan. I think you. auto decisioning. Go ahead. Oops. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Jack. I think go auto ahead. decisioning. Yeah, I think auto decisioning, uh, Troy, you know, another uh, pickup is over on the fair lending side as well. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, humans, you know, can look at the same set of data and, and make, you know, different decisions, whereas in an auto decisioning environment, uh, I think you get more consistency with regards mm-hmm. to the decisions, and we all know that translates, you know, into a risk mitigate for fair lending as well. Yeah, oh, I man, think- that's Go ahead. You're right. Yeah, that's a good point. But also we're finding with AI that they found when studying AI that there are actually biases built into that that can create issues on the other side. So can you see AI <laughs> for decisions that are being made? I mean, it would be fun to see how you navigate it. But Alan had texted me with a question he had for you on this point that you were making just a moment ago. Go ahead, Alan. Okay. 
Yeah, and th- thanks, David. You know, as I'm as I'm listening to what you're saying, right? I, Finastra is a big company, and you do so much. And and I was in your space for a little bit, working with financial institutions and helping them bridge the gap into mortgage yeah, origination because it's the hardest to do. Yeah, it's the hardest to do what everyone's doing. So, what's your edge? What, why, you know, what do you, what do you just think that right now you are the target for a lot of financial institutions and why they really should be considering to work with you? Um, I just, I, that's been kind of in my mind and I'm, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure some of our listeners probably thinking the same. Um, if it's not a secret geez. sauce, right? Yeah, yeah, I won't, I won't, I won't, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'll give away any secret sauce, but the, uh, I, I will <laughs> say, you know, it, it, for people, uh, for people that are looking, it's it can do anything and everything. Well, not every. I shouldn't. I won't go that far. Um, it is a uh, uh, a known platform, right? It is we 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 have tremendous support. We've got different support options, but more importantly, is we have got a uh, thousand plus, you know, primarily financial institutions, not necessarily uh, on the mortgage side. We haven't been as focused on them, which we are moving our focus towards that actually right now, since I, I've only been on, on board with Finastra for about nine months. And that's one of my initiatives is to get more so into the, uh, the actual mortgage lender space and mortgage brokers, uh, which we are actually making some headway there. But to date, you know, the, the fact that we've got roughly 1200 or so, uh, you know, F traditional FIs, uh, utilizing the platform, both from a POS as well right. as LOS space, um, you know, we're very well grounded in that space. We understand it very well. We also understand, you know, the mortgage space. The, the company prior to me joined just hasn't, hadn't been too focused on the uh, the true mortgage lenders and, and mortgage brokers. Um, but we're finding, you know, with our POS, we're finding significant interest, you know, for the brokers that are out there. Um, they're mm-hmm. very interested in it. Super easy to use. Um, also, the fact the connectivity. I mean, we I keep I've mentioned our POS. Uh, we partner with other POSs, so they don't have to use our POS. You know, if they've got a, an, another one, you know, that's out there that's standalone, you know, we do have integrations, uh, you know, but back and forth integrations with them. So we are very flexible, and I think, you know, I think our, there are mar- other marketplaces, you guys know that, that are on this call, uh, that other vendors have those, but I think ours is, is very strong, and we can add to our marketplace uh, yeah. very easily and quickly to satisfy those, those clients yeah. that need something. Well, looking at the clock, it answered the question, do we know if we can come up with enough material for a 20-minute interview? We've blown through that pretty fast. We're at the end. Yeah, of it, but I do got one, yeah, we got one question I do want to ask you that is one of the key points that you had raised when we were preparing. He says, especially with your unique position in the marketplace of the number one fintech company in the world, and I stress that. So what do you see as the next big thing in the lending arena as just in Finner as a whole? Uh, I can answer that qu- very quickly. It's HELOCs. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I see more articles about HELOCs right now <laughs> and for, for a variety of reasons. Number one, a lot of the big players have gotten out of it, uh, you know, either or they, or they positioned themselves out of it by still charging thousands of dollars in closing costs, you know, when you can go get one for, for no cost. And there's, there's pent-up equity. You know, it, it, I'm seeing where you guys were talking about these five percent rates, right? And I'm like, well, I'd rather go get a HELOC, you know, that yeah, hold on to my house. I'll get a HELOC and just, you know, fix up my current house. What we're gonna do uh, yeah. for what, for what I'm looking for, whether it's a pool, yep. and you know, we, we we all probably know this, but the interest on those is deductible if the proceeds are used to, you know, substantially approve or or build, you know, additional things around the home uh, and yep. the, the land. So uh, you still get that break as well. Uh, but without the fees and, and other things. So, um, yeah, it's, it's all about HELOCs. You know, people out there with HELOCs, though, are expecting, you know, there's some aggressive lenders out there that we're talking to today that say, hey, from the time they, from the time they approve till the time they uh, close, number one, it all needs to be mobile, 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 you know, single point of contact from a yep. technology perspective, and we need to be able to close them in as quickly as five days um, if yep. it's slam dunks. So yep. that's, that's where I see it going right now. Yeah. Five days. It's a little bit off from the 40 days that. Uh, right. Yeah, exactly. About. When you mentioned yeah, 40, I was, I was smiling. <laughs> yeah, I was probably, yeah, I could get to be, be there. Uh, no problem. Uh, I, I look at this. Jack, as you listen to this, uh, any parting comments or final comments as we wrap up this? Well, you know, I, I, I think one of the most important statements that got made uh, during the course of this hour long podcast 
is, is that technology, you know, needs to be viewed in the framework of return on investment. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think Troy talked about that, you know, through, you know, automation. Uh, you know, you got to look at those tasks that you have to complete to finish a loan. And, and you've got to look at the time and the cost, you know, from a, from a labor standpoint to, to complete those tasks. And if automation can, can, can reduce the amount of, of valuable and costly work effort, you know, then you've got a good ROI by implementing that technology. And I think a lot of what Troy talked about you know, along the lines of, automating the decisioning process will drive a lot of cost savings that lenders are going to need over the next couple of years, David. Yeah, it's so true. And I think no one understood that more than what you, when you were building at uh, Texas Capital Bank back in your fully employed days uh, was the correspondent division. I had the privilege of working with you and you've always had such a vision for that, Jack. So it's good stuff. Alan, last thoughts. No, I my, honestly, I think if I was a financial institution um, and, and I had online banking of the things with uh, Finastra, I would be considering put, pulling everything together. So, Troy, echoing really everything you've said, I think you guys are on your way to some greatness, and, and your clients are just going to continue to see the, the benefit of that. Yeah. I'm yeah, excited. Also, I'm also excited to see what you can do inside of the mortgage space now that you're helping the company focus more on the IMBs in the marketplace. And so mm -hmm. welcome to the rest of the side of it. It's an area you know well. So we're thrilled to have had you here. Thank you so much, Troy, for being here. Appreciate your sponsorship, the financial sponsorship of the podcast, and your comments today. Really uh, good oh. insight. Thank you, sir. Appreciate oh, it. Oh, yeah. Thank you, guys. Nice to meet you. You, you bet. Appreciate Bye -bye. it. Well, next week, we're going to continue down the theme of that, the other company, a company that Alan used to work for, is Sci-Fi Serve. We're going to have Christopher for Brown come on and uh, share some of the thoughts. So we're kind of looking at the financial institutions, especially when you look at where the market's heading, the bigger role that the financial institutions are going to be playing, especially with the HELOCs, as, as Troy was just talking about. So we're going to have Christopher Brown on, talk a little bit about from the perspective of Sci-Fi Serve, Alan's, Alan's old turf. You know about that company pretty well, Alan. So excited to have them on. Let's get over and say a big thank you as we exit out to our sponsors, Finastra, Lenders One, Mobility, MMI, Modex, the MBA, Knowledge Coop, the Mortgage Collaborative, Snap, Doc, Success Kit, Lender Toolkit, Total Expert, Form Free, Simple Nexus. You can check out all of our sponsors on the Lincoln and Lending website. So good to have you with us, everybody. Have a great week. Look forward to having you back here next week with Alan's update on technology. It's continued update. A lot. I can't wait for that, Alan. It's going to be fun. Appreciate you, everyone. Have a great week. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to Licken on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Licken of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.